0: This is The New Criterion, I'm James Pinero, Executive Editor. From the September 2019 issue of The New Criterion, this is Venice's Last Judgment, my essay on the beginning and end of the most serene republic. The Venice Biennale, that strange pageant of contemporary fashions, offers the opportunity, if not the necessity, to explore the real art of La Serenissima. At the furthest extreme from the latest forms on display in the Biennale's Giardini are the ancient mosaics of the church of Santa Maria Assunta on the distant Lagoon Island of Torcello. I brought my family to Torcello's desolate piazza on what proved to be the hottest morning of a hot Italian summer. Torcello is an hour by vaporetto water bus from the Fondamenta Nove on the northern edge of Venice's Cestieri of Canaregio, We cut the time in half by water taxi and sped past the islands of Murano, Burano, and Mazzurbo, before idling up to Torcello's Ponte del Diavolo, where the narrow canal becomes too shallow for navigation. Since we arrived early, we had to wait for the church lady to unlock the doors of the basilica, We fed the languid fish schooling by the abandoned quay of a nearby channel. Then we huddled in what shade we could find on this barren deposit of alluvial silt. Torcello's tiny Locanda Cipriani, the fabled retreat where Hemingway wrote across the river and into the trees, was closed for the day, so the Negronis would have to wait. At one point, we begged someone inside the island's archaeological museum for some shelter from the sun. Mi dispiace, he said, closing the shutters on us. Our water supply started running low, as did my party's patients. In the Italian custom, the attendant for Torcello's lavish municipal bathroom had overslept and missed his ferry, and no one else had the key." The privations no doubt made the sight of Santa Maria Assunta, once we are led inside, all the more thrilling. On its western wall, the golden vision of its last judgment, which received a full cleaning and restoration in February, is as profound as any art in Venice. With six vertical registers, the mosaic is filled with an awe-inspiring amount of visual information. Scenes of the Crucifixion, Anastasis, or Resurrection, Desis, or Christ with Mary and John the Baptist, and Psychostasis, the weighing of souls, all rest on vignettes of heaven and hell divided in the lowest registers. The decorative splendor of this mosaic barely holds its dynamic forces together. In the upper registers, an expressive Christ pulls the souls of the Old Testament up from limbo to heaven by their wrists. Below, a snaking line of judicial plumbing leads down to increasingly explicit visions of hell. Two demons try to tip the scales of St. Michael with their pitchforks, while pouring out sins from bottles and bags. Meanwhile, the damned are subdivided among the lustful, gluttonous, wrathful, envious, avaricious, and slothful, where they endure fiery and icy torments when not being eaten by worms. Today, Torcello is an overlooked shoal in the northern lagoon, but at one time the island nurtured the first seeds of what became the Great Republic of Venice. Torcello flowered as the original center of activity in the Veneto, before its channel silted up and its inhabitants relocated to the nearby islands of Murano, Burano, and the high ground of the Rialto. A millennium ago, at its apex, there were some 10,000 inhabitants on Torcello. Today, only about a dozen remain. Torcello's last judgment therefore offers genuine revelation. The end times here have already come. There was a period when Torcella was the crucible of Venice's unexpected beginnings. In the final days of the Western Roman Empire, barbarian hordes descended on the old Roman towns still clinging to the shores of the northern Adriatic. As Attila the Hun surrounded the town of Altinum in 452, his residents fled to the sandbars of the nearby lagoon. These Roman holdouts and refugees from the other Veneti towns became lagoon dwellers in Cole Lacune, just three miles south of Altinum on the shifting delta sands of the River Sile. Today, the view from Torcello's Campanile does not look all that different from what those settlers first saw 1,500 years ago. In the Stones of Venice, John Ruskin called the site one of the most notable scenes in this wide world of ours, as far as the eye can reach, a waste of wild seymour, of lurid ashen grey, lifeless, the colour of sackcloth, with corrupted seawater soaking through the roots of its acrid weeds, and glimmering hither and thither through its snaky channels. The Venetian Lagoon has always been an alien landscape but its separation from the mainland provided essential protection from Italy's drawn-out period of Germanic incursions and the collapse of the Byzantine Empire. In their exodus, the settlers built houses on pilings of hardwood driven into the mudflats. All of Venice was built this way. It is said that the Baroque church of Santa Maria della Salute The towering, domed memorial to the devastating plague of 1630 by the Punta della Dogana rests on a million wooden piles. The Venetians also organized their new community along Roman Republican lines. Rather than be ruled by an emperor or king, they elected their leader, dux in Latin, duke in English, doge in Italian. In this way, the Veneti of the lagoon formed their mighty maritime republic that endured for over a thousand years. In the republic's final days, before its destruction by Napoleon, the Venetians even counseled the architects of the United States on the secret of their republic's endurance. The foundation stones of the Torcella Basilica was laid in 639, a year after the town's bishop had a vision that his flock should abandon what remained of Altinum. As Torcello rose in importance, its basilica became a prominent cathedral. The nearby channel, now little more than a shoaled up estuary that harbors those languid fish, was once Torcello's bustling Grand Canal. The relics of St. Heliodorus, the Altinum bishop, Who accompanied St. Jerome and was martyred in 390, were carried off from his Roman town and laid to rest beneath the basilica's altar. His golden reliquary can still be seen there today. Since the Tortella Basilica predates the construction of even the first cathedral of San Marco in Venice by some two centuries, one legend maintains that the body of St. Mark was first interred here, perhaps in the crypt's Roman sarcophagus, after two Venetian merchants alighted with the evangelist remains from Alexandria, Egypt, which was then under the dominion of the Abbasid Caliphate. About the time of the height of Torcello's predominance in 1100, the interior of the basilica received its cycle of golden mosaics, which includes a sorrow-filled image of the virgin and child in the main apse above a swirling, tessellated marble floor. Byzantine in form, the selection of a last judgment scene for the opposite towering western wall through which congregants once entered and exited is said to have been a particularly Venetian touch. Torcello reveals Venice in its true provisional strangeness, where art gives vision to imminence, and relics buoy the faithful to the final days. The great works of Venice have always conveyed these contingent qualities as a world between worlds. Rather than gaze up to some idealized beyond, the art of Venice looks out to proximate, felt, rough-and-tumble revelation. Art has always played a central role in connecting the Venetian experience to the cosmic story. The particular hardships endured by the disease-prone city can be seen through its adoration of the plague saints, San Rocco, in whose scuola and church, in the sestiere of San Polo, Tintoretto painted one of the world's greatest cycles of Christian image-making, and San Sebastiano, in whose church, on the site of a medieval hospice in the Sestieri of Dorsodoro, Veronese painted some of his own masterpieces. For the Scuola Grande di San Marco, which now serves as the entrance to Venice's hospital in the Sestieri of Castello, Tintoretto painted his breakthrough Miracle of the Slave of 1548, along with his famous depictions of how the body of Mark came to Venice and its miraculous rediscovery after the evangelist was, for a time, temporarily misplaced art holds a particular power over the city, just as the city conveys a particular power to art. Undoubtedly, this is the reason why many contemporary artists come to congest Venice's art-filled walls, to claim the city's revelations, even if what they themselves purport to reveal may be facile and false. Of course, the science fiction didacticism of the group show in this year's Biennale full of blinking lights and spinning whirligigs, speaks little to the art of Venice's resonant past. In our secular age so enraptured with the present moment, how could it? Yet sometimes connections can still be made. In the United States Pavilion, the sculptures of Martin Purrier, which draw together the classicism of many sculptural traditions, are fraught with memory. An exhibition on the nature of art. At the Peggy Guggenheim Collection speaks to the aquatic forms of the lagoon Pittura Panorama paintings by helen frankenthaler nineteen fifty two to nineteen ninety two at the Palazzo Grimini returns the great modernist to Venice some fifty years after she dazzled in the United States Pavilion with her aqueous compositions. Anna Pizarro. Arshal Gorky, 1904-1948, to reveals the tragic vision of the American abstractionist who lost his family in the Armenian Genocide. Through plague and pestilence, rising sea waters and sinking salt marshes, in Venice the end has never seemed all that far off. Today the flood that troubles Venetians most is the tourists pouring out of Grandi Navi, the massive cruise ships that wreak havoc on the Giudecca Canal and may soon be banned, not the city's frequent inundations of aqua Alta, which locals take in watery stride. Last November, when I was previously in Venice for the Tintoretto exhibitions at the Palazzo Ducale and Academia Museums, the high-water sirens sounded at daybreak, the Sirene Alertamento Acqua Alta now broadcasts from twenty two points across the historical centre and islands of Venice. From my window overlooking the Accademia, I listened as the signal broke the morning spell from the alarm atop San Trovaso. As my water taxi motored up the Grand Canal, the flood waters compounded with the morning rain and washed over the Cali around the Ponte di Rialto. Thirty-five years ago, Venice installed its first flood alarm on the Campanile of San Marco. A new alarm, developed by the Centro Provisione Segnalazione Mare, now uses a wireless network and digital signals of various tones to indicate the height of the rising tide. Venetians also sign up for emergency notices by text message, giving them a few extra minutes to slide in the low metal barriers at the bottom of their doorways to hold back the headwaters. In the months of fall, as the Sirocco southern wind, the full moon, and other hydrological effects converge on the Adriatic to push water into the lagoon, many Venetians now simply leave the barriers in place. The waters of the lagoon have always offered protection and destruction in equal measure. With its canals framing an architecture of exquisite lace, the city's liquid light gives evanescent form to the miraculous story of survival that began and ended on humble Torcello. Quote, "...without making this excursion, you can hardly pretend to know Venice," Henry James said of his own visit to the island. He continued, "...it is impossible to imagine a more penetrating case for unheeded collapse." Torcello was the mother city of Venice, and she lies there now, a mere moldering vestige, like a group of weather-bleached parental bones left impiously unburied. From the 2019 issue of The New Criterion, this has been Venice's Last Judgment. I'm James Pinero, Executive Editor.